All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another informative episode of Bright Brains. Today, we have as a guest, Rod Infinity, author of the new hit book, Airball. Almost 100% of all basketball players won't make it to the NBA. Please join me in welcoming Rod to the podcast. Welcome to the show, Rod. Appreciate Uh, it, Rod. Thanks for letting me come on today. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Hey, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm really uh, excited to talk about this book. It was really eye-opening. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then you can also tell us about your book. Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I have an athletic background. I played basketball in high school. I actually played a little bit of college ball, not like for no big Division I, but I played for a JUCO, which is a junior college. Um, I did have an offer to a school called Goshen College, which is in Indiana, which is a NAIA school. For any hoop fans out there, probably know about that. If you're not in the college hoops, you probably don't know much about that. But um, I ultimately turned that down, went to Kent State University, got my bachelor's degree from there. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of like a little bit of my background as far as like when it comes to basketball. Um, I actually did play with the University of Cincinnati Bearcats uh, on their summer league team in the Devereaux League. Uh, back in the day, I also uh, tried out for the – I went to the – back when it was called the NBA D-League, it's now called the G-League, but I went to one of their national tryouts and actually received a call back from the uh, Idaho Stampede, which is now the Salt Lake, Salt Lake City Stars. And I actually practiced a few days with the uh, Arizona Scorpions, uh, which is a defunct, a defunct team now. They don't exist anymore, but they're in the ABA, which is a professional awesome. team. All right, man. So, yeah, you've had a long uh, career uh, playing basketball at the collegiate level and at the semi-pro level. So that's awesome. So so you looks like you've been on uh, – you've actually tried to make it to the NBA. Um, is that what inspired you to write this book? Bring that many young men, not only in the United States but across the world, have of trying to play in the NBA one day. But uh, what actually inspired me to write the book – it's kind of an interesting story. I talk about it in the preface of the book, but I'll definitely uh, give a little scoop here to all your listeners here on Bright Brains. So uh, it was in 2017. I was uh, working just this little side job, just a little gig. And like literally this, I didn't know this woman, never spoke to her. She just walks up to me, uh, looks me up and down and just like, just like with disgust on her face. And she's just like, why aren't you in the NBA? And she wasn't saying it jokingly. She like literally meant it. And like, I kind of like, you know, I, I, people, you know, I'm, I'm six foot six. I've heard this many times, not in this tone before, but I just kind of like looked at her and I was just like, well, ma'am, uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but the almost everybody is not going to make the NBA. It doesn't matter how tall you are. You're, the odds are like so far against you, like nobody hardly makes it. And then literally this was her remark. She said, well, we must have all been lied to then. And, like, that moment, I, I know, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it, what she think, just everybody that's, like, 6'5 and above, just, I, just as, soon, as soon as you hit 6'5, some guy just drops out of the sky and says, hey, come play for the Lakers or come play for the <laughs> Miami Heat. I wish, I, trust me. I wish. I wish it was that easy. I wish I was just making millions of dollars playing basketball just because I'm six for six. I, re- I really wish it was that easy. But uh, to finish up your uh, your question there, like when she said that, 
like most people who play basketball are aware that the odds are very low. But like even myself back when basketball was life and like literally every day I was at the gym, even when I wasn't at practice, I would go to, you know, to the gym after practice on the weekend, go to practice. Like I never knew the exact odds. Like, you know, everybody just thinks like, well, especially like in the junior college realm, a lot of people think like, well, as long as I get to a division one school, I'll have a chance of making it, you know, but I actually looked for a book that like showed this information and I couldn't find anything. And I thought to myself at the time, like, wow, this might be a good idea for a book one day. Maybe I could like write, write a book about this. Once again, this is 2017. Fast forward two years later, I actually start brainstorming and like kind of doing the research and the research, you know, led to me, you know, starting to, to write the outline of the book. And then, you know, I was, I planned on taking two years to write the book. But it ended up taking me closer to four years to finish. Uh, but in July of this year, I'm definitely happy to say the book is uh, is out and available now. All right. So it took four years to write the book. And the book, the title says almost 100% of basketball players won't mm-hmm. make it to the NBA. So tell mm-hmm. us, how did you do that research and how did you come to that conclusion? So for this research uh, – Literally for like the first year, I was just gathering data. So I didn't like literally for the first full year I was working on this. I essentially, I went through every single NBA draft going back to the first draft, which was held in uh, 1947 or it might be 46. But I went back to the very first NBA draft all the way up to 2019. So the book covers from when the the first year of the NBA all the way through uh, before we go into the 2020s. So I literally went through, uh, just to kind of save the details here, I had like several massive like spreadsheets, like Excel spreadsheets, to where essentially I just created a, you know, like for each college division, I had a column and a role. For each basketball player, you know, I had their name, I had what school they went to, I had what, you know, how long their career was. And I essentially just compiled all of this data line by line and just put it together. Like I had to, you know, I would take this set of data to get to this data. Then when I got that data, I would take that data, compile it to get to this next fact. So like, it was literally like countless, like I probably spent like a thousand, at least a thousand hours just on gathering data and sorting through it alone before I even put, I guess you can't say pen to paper anymore. I guess there's some writers out there still write pen and paper, but until I started actually like writing the book. Before I even wrote one word, you know, all that time was spent just on gathering the data. All right, then. And so with this data, you came up with a new concept that you called the five courts hierarchy. Can you explain? <laughs> yeah. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So the five courts hierarchy, it's an easy to understand, very simple ranking and comparison system that I invented. So essentially, Imagine the, you know, when the coach calls a timeout, you know, the little, uh, the board that they hold that it has the basketball court on it. It looks like it's an overview of the basketball court. So it's essentially five of those courts. So it's court number one, court number two, court number three, court number four, and court number five. Court number one through four, all is all of the NCAA Division I teams. And they're ranked from top to bottom for the most NBA players they produced throughout history, both drafted and undrafted combined. So 
Court number one at number one spot, for instance, uh, for instance, is the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. They produce the most NBA players of any conference in uh, the in, in any college basketball division since the beginning of history for the NBA, so on and so forth. And then court five is different. So court number five is any entity that's not associated with NCAA Division One that has produced an NBA player. So like international. NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, NAIA, NJCAA, high school, and then a other category for in, for anybody who's made it who doesn't fit any of those buckets. All right. Yeah, it, it was really interesting how you broke it down. Um, you know, most of the players who go to the NBA came from that first court. and But then as court two, court three, court four, and five, the chances go down considerably. So my question is this, like, let's say there's a person like a young kid who is dreaming of going to the NBA. Right. And they see this book and they're like, man, like almost 100% of people don't make it to the NBA. Like, what would you tell that young man? What advice would you give him? So first and foremost, I would just tell them, Hey, these are the facts. I mean, I'm not making these numbers up. Uh, this is literally like this is this is the this is the truth. This is what I wish I would have known back when I was 17 years old. Um, I would essentially tell them, "Hey, never give up on your dreams." Obviously, people are in the NBA every single year. There's more people that get drafted and make it to the NBA. There's people that are undrafted that make it to the NBA, but you got to have a plan B. And I think that that's something that a lot of people just really don't, you know, they talk about it, but even when I was playing junior college basketball, like half the team literally was talking like they thought they could make the NBA still one day, myself included. I thought like, Oh, if I just make it to any division one team, any division one team that I, and then I go there and I do good, that I would have a quote unquote good chance of making it to the NBA. And I actually came across an article uh, while I was writing the book, and it had basically said that, like, 75% of Division I men's basketball players feel that they have a quote-unquote chance of making it into the NBA, when in reality, it's only, like, 3.8% of Division I players get drafted to the NBA. So there's this, like, gigantic gap between – perceived between perceived chances and just the straight up facts. So getting back to what you were saying, if I was talking to a young man, I would say, you know, depending on how old they are, if they're 17 years old and they haven't even got an offer to college for a basketball team, I would probably say, hey, look, chase your dreams, but you're probably not going to make it. Maybe you'll be able to make it overseas somewhere if you get lucky and you really bust, you know, bust your ass and, and you, and you work your way up, but your chances of just making it to the NBA, are, they're basically like nil at that point. If if the country doesn't know, especially in this day and age with the internet, with social media, if, the, if by the time you're like a freshman and sophomore in high school, if you don't have some type of viral clip and the basketball community at large kind of knows who you are a little bit, you're already like super behind the eight ball, like right out the gate. Yeah, yeah. Um, like people like LeBron James, you know, his he probably had the most followed high school career out of any uh, NBA player. I remember like his high school games would get like 
national and international coverage. So you knew LeBron yeah. James was going to be going to the NBA. But, you know, I see a lot of young men and unfortunately a lot of young black men who kind of put all their eggs into the basketball basket. Um, that was a nice little pun. No, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. But uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many young black men, uh, you know, put all their efforts into basketball or just sports in general? A lot of it has to do with, you know, I don't want to get too, you know, I, I'll just kind of keep it real on here. I, I don't want to go too political with this, but you got to think about it. Sports was one of the first things, you know, we know the history of our country and, you know, unfortunately, black Americans at one time was uh, severely discriminated against in a lot of different fields um, in this country. But, you know, athletics is one of the first opportunities we had, um, along with like, you know, serving in the military and things of that nature. But I think a lot of it goes back to that. Also, you know, especially before the days of social media and Internet, what would you see all all the movies that had like a, a lot of the movies and media like a lot of the positive portrayals is always like, you know, especially young black men or just young men in general, always like the, the, the superstar athlete, you know, save the family by, by you know, saying you, you can make it, you know, through this, you know, especially back when players were going straight to, from high school to the NBA. That was like the dream. It was like, oh, don't even go to college, you know, just 18 years old right out of high school and just go to the NBA and make all these millions of dollars and be a superstar. You know, it's a lot of sensationalism, and a lot of it comes from the media, especially, once again, before the social media age where we see people doing other things and making a living. Uh, I think a lot of it stems from that, you know. All right. So when you were doing the research for this book, what are some key statistics or insights that really stood out to you? The first one that jumps to mind is that I'll, I'll ask you this first. Uh, I'm not sure if you're like super familiar with, uh, you know, basketball conferences, but have you ever heard of Division Two? Do you know what Division Two is? Yeah, Division Two are like schools that aren't as large as Division One schools, correct? Or that's that correct. Yes, yeah. that, yeah. that's correct. And they still have basketball teams and a lot of good basketball players. When do you think the last player from Division Two was drafted into the NBA? I'm going to assume it's not as much as Division One, but I'm going to say it had to be a couple, like within the last uh, five or so years or so, right? The, incorrect. And <laughs> the, the last player from Division Two that got drafted to the NBA's name was Robert Whaley, and he got drafted in 2005. He's oh, wow. the last Division Two player. And here's, and here's the kicker. He played for a Division I team. He played for – I know you're from Cincinnati like I am. He played for University of Cincinnati before he transferred to the Division II school. So he actually had ties to Division I before he got drafted. But that's the last Division II player that actually got drafted into the NBA. So we're talking almost two decades ago. And guess how long his career was? Like one year. I believe he, he played for one year. I believe It was either one or two years, but I believe one year, yes. Yeah, that's so, wild, man. Yeah, so literally, you know, it, if you don't play Division One, you're basically toast. You're not making the NBA, playing this up. Gotcha. Man. Not, every decade, it might be one or two players from Division Two or Three that goes undrafted. You're not going to be drafted. You might go, like, undrafted. It might be one or two players a decade from Division Two that goes undrafted. And Division Three, it's even less. Uh, I got, I have a, uh, there's a section towards the end of the book. I believe it's in chapter 12 that shows like the last five players 
from like these smaller uh, divisions and conferences, the last people who got like drafted. And I believe for like, like junior college, the fifth most recent like undrafted players from like 1982 or something. Oh, wow. Yes. That's it's crazy. That long. Yeah, That's I crazy. know. It, and people don't realize that, you know, once again, I, I was a junior college ball player and I literally thought I had a quote unquote chance to make it as long as I got to division one. Yeah. You know, uh, what was really interesting that stood out to me was how many international players there uh, were. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I think there were more international players in the NBA than there are Division Two players in the oh, NBA. Oh, yeah. it's not even close. It's not even yeah. close. Uh, one, one in five NBA players today are foreign-born. Oh, really? One in five? <laughs> One in five. Yeah, so, like, a lot of them come over here and play for, like, like for instance, Joel Embiid. He played for Kansas, but he was born – who's also a former uh, NBA MVP. He was born in Cameroon, so he's an international player. But, yeah, one in five NBA players today born outside of U.S. soil. That's wild. And uh, you said you think that uh, it's going to grow larger, right, over time. Um, Actually, on this one, so this one's kind of tough. I actually said that – Towards the end of my book, I talk about how it's kind of like the international kind of is at a crossroads. So an interesting thing is that like a lot of international players that was so during the 2000s, that's when we witnessed like the boom of the international player, like 89 players throughout the 2000s decade were drafted that came from an international background and like. I believe like the three decades leading up to that, like the 1970s maybe had like one international player that played that was drafted. Like the 80s had like maybe two or three. The 90s had like maybe four or five. And then boom, all of a sudden 2000 come, it was 89. But what I found out in my data was that there was a lot more players that was drafted. Now those were players that actually played. There were 89 players that were international that played at least one year. But like, it was close to 40% of international players drafted actually never played in the NBA. And then during the 2010s, it was like, I think like 68 or 69 international players played, but like more than half of them that were drafted actually never played. So I'm, you know, it's only two rounds in the NBA draft now, but I'm kind of I'm kind of torn on this one because you know a lot like I believe the last five years the MVP of the the MVPs of the NBA have been foreign born so like it was Joel Embiid, uh, Jokic, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Jokic won it I believe two years so like yeah so all these international players are doing great like guys like Luca who's the upcoming star but a lot of players that are drafted internationally don't come over and actually play so. I don't know if teams are going to be like, you know, if they were to know this, I don't know if they would just like go the more casual route and stick with division one players. You know, it's, it's kind of tough on that. It's kind of tough to answer where it's going to be in the future. But right now, yeah. international is definitely a big influence on the game, even down to the gameplay style. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, styles that are used in the European leagues overseas is starting to make its way over into the NBA with like the positionless players. Uh, the Euro set got really big about a decade ago. So the European game especially has had a major influence on the NBA today. So it used to be that you didn't even have to go to college to play in the NBA. I mean, you used to be able to just mm -hmm. go right out of high school. But then they came That's up correct. with a rule 
they came up with a rule that said you had to have be out of high school for at least one year before going to the NBA. That's correct. Yes, it was part of the it was part of the NBA collective bargaining uh, agreement for I believe it was right around I want to say like 2005 or 2006. But essentially, that uh, that creates a rule where you have to be you have to be at least 19 years old. You have to be at least one year removed from your graduation to be eligible for the NBA draft. So um, I'm not, I don't know the exact ins and outs as far as like why the NBA decided to get rid of that or, you know, not let players come straight from high school. I know there's been a lot of talk recently about implementing that again and letting players come straight out of high school. Uh, but yeah, that was part of an NBA collective bargaining agreement. That uh, I may cut you off. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that they should get rid of that and just let people well, come you, out of high school? The thing is, when you look at the numbers, like that, you know, average NBA player's career coming out of high school is like I think it was like 28 players that came straight out of high school to play in the NBA uh, from when the NBA started up until 2019 through that, the, through the 2019 season. And, like, the average for a drafted player, their career is, like, 11 years, which is, like, almost twice the length of the average year for, like, a Division One player, which is, like, I want to say from, like, court one, which is the top court, I think their average career is, like, maybe six years or, like, a, a hair under five. So it's almost, like, twice as long. And then even, like, undrafted high school players have really long careers, too. So – They've been when they were allowed, they were like super productive in the NBA and stuck stuck around for a very long time. So I don't I don't really know what message the NBA was trying to send by not letting high schoolers come straight out of high school. I think that they should allow it. I, I mean, because I, I don't you know, any kid who's gonna come straight out of high school is good enough. They're just gonna go to a college and play for one year and then come out anyway. So I don't see what the big deal is. Like, why do they need to just play one year of college? Or just sit out for a year or go play. You know, you had a couple of players like Brandon Jennings and uh, who played overseas for a year. You might have heard of uh, LeVar Ball's uh, uh, LaMelo Ball. He played overseas for a year before being drafted. I believe he was selected number two or number three. Like, yeah, they should just be allowed right out of high school. You know, it, it's not that many it's not that many players that make it straight out of high school. I don't I don't see why they put that rule in place, honestly. Yeah, so like towards the end of the book, you talked about something. I think you called it the thirteenth year, which is like thirteenth grade. Yeah, thirteenth yeah, grade. Yeah. Where you talk, you talk about uh, alternatives to going to mm -hmm. school. Um, what are the advantages of that? So there are several advantages, right? So first and foremost, okay, you guys think about it. You know, if you're if you're coming out of school, uh, out of high school, and you already have a name for yourself and you're like pretty solidified the good thing about kind of going the alternative path is that like you can kind of like pr protect your draft equity so what i mean by that is like instead of going to play for like kansas where you're going to be playing against like you know playing in this great division against like some of the best players in the in college basketball you go and play for like an all you know you could sit out there's been actually some players like Anthony Simmons with the uh, Portland Trailblazers, um, Kenya Martin Jr., same way. A lot of these players, they either sit out and take like a gap year after their senior year because once again, you just have to be 19, at least 19 years old, and one year removed from your high school graduation to be eligible for the NBA draft. So several players 
took a gap year and just like practiced by themselves and then were drafted the next year. So I'll speak on that first. So you're not going to be able to increase your draft stock if you do that, if you just kind of take a gap year. But in the same way, you're not going to probably fall off much. So you're almost like, it's almost like you're freezing yourself in time to where like where your stock is at. So you're probably still going to get drafted and you're not going to get like potentially exposed by better division one players. And on top of that, you don't have to take college classes or nothing. And you don't have to follow like NCAA guidelines that have like, you know, how they have rules and regulations for how long uh, practice can be held a day. So you could like literally be in the gym for 10 hours a day in a gap year, every single day working on your game before you make it to the NBA. And then same thing with some of these other organizations. Yeah, same thing with these other organizations like Overtime Elite, which is kind of like a new, I call it like a, I, I call it that alternative select prep. Uh, you know, you have teams like Overtime Elite where it's like they function like a, uh, I forget the name of it, but they function like a school that travels like a, how like an Oak Hill Academy and like a Mount Verde Academy. They, they function like a prep school, right? Like a national prep school. But since it's not a prep school, they can kind of like, they can practice longer. It's, 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 a, it's a massive gray area, but essentially you can like play, you can practice way more than a player that's like on a division one team. Because I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe NCAA has rules where it's like, you can't conduct practice for more than like three or three and a half hours a day. You know, you, you can't have a practice for seven hours. Like you can't do that. But if you're taking a gap year, you're, you're play, playing for an alternative select prep school. You can Oh, so, so far, have there been any um, players that came out of this overtime elite league? Yes, there's been several. Uh, actually, uh, and the numbers have been growing. So that league just started up in, I think, 2020 was the first year of 2021. They've already had, like, I think, like, eight or nine NBA draft picks selections, and, like, half of those were, like, top five NBA picks. So there's been, like – top, top talents that's been coming out of this league already. All right. That's and it's cool. only been like three drafts so far. Yeah. All right. What about G League? Um, has that been successful mm-hmm. in producing a lot of uh, NBA talent? As far as producing NBA talent, uh, it definitely has been successful. The league has – so back when it was the D League, it had a lot fewer teams. I don't know the exact amount off the top of my head. I do know I looked at their website recently. There's like it looks like they've at least doubled or tripled the amount of teams they have since I tried out for them uh, for the national tryout back in 2010. But um, it's uh, there's players definitely making it. I'm not gonna say like superstars are coming out of the G League because you gotta think about it. the G League is essentially the minor league of the NBA. If the players were good enough, they, you know, they were really, really good. They're never going to see a day in the G League. Uh, but it's definitely growing. It's definitely serving the purpose that the uh, the NBA is looking for. It's definitely serving the purpose. Awesome. So, you know, as you've said in your book and as we've talked about so far, uh, it seems to be a really uh, intense competition to get to the NBA because there's only so many spots and – well, my yes. question is, what kind of emotional and mental toll does this take on these young athletes uh, trying to get to the league? 
I don't think it takes much of a mental toll because I think that there are a lot of these. I think that the majority of these players, especially the Division One players, they're, they're they're not even aware of they're not aware of the chances. They just think like, hey, I'm on the Division One team. As long as I go out here and ball out and average 15 points a game a year, I got a chance of making it. I think they're totally just not aware. So I don't think it's having any toll on them at all because once again, like I said, that that uh, study I came across, 75% of Division One players think they got a chance of making it. So that means guys that aren't even starters that come off the bench think that they got a chance of making it. Yeah. And it's just Is so it- I, I don't even think, yeah, I don't think they're being affected mentally or emotionally. When it comes to that 75%, is it just like, you know how they say you have to fake it till you make it? You know? Is it that or is it I, just is it just delusion? I think, I think I'm not delusions kind of sounds a little strong, but I just think they're yeah, not yeah, aware. Yeah. You know how they say, like, you ever heard the saying awareness is the best defense? Yeah. I don't they're literally not aware. Like Isaac, I wasn't aware of it back when I was playing ball. And I mean I was all about this life at one time. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. So I know if I wasn't aware of it, and I never, you know, I did play against several Division One players while I was uh, playing with uh, University of Cincinnati uh, during the Devils League, and I had a chance to play against, uh, you know, a few Division One players, but I never suited it up. So I can only imagine, you know, and these it's not like these coaches are telling these kids or young men, you know, it's not like they're telling them, like, hey, you guys are going to make you need to think about a plan B. You know, they're doing their job as a coach, so they're... Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse and intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's bright brains with a Z pod P O D at gmail.com. Now back to the podcast. Uh, the, it got kind of choppy for a second there. I think uh, maybe the NBA or oh, something yeah. is listening in and they don't want us talking all these facts. They kind of, <laughs> they kind of uh, ruined the stream for a bit, but uh, uh-huh. I, I think uh I think I kind of got the gist of what you were saying. Um, but yeah. basically, I, I want to say this. I know earlier I talked to you, uh, I said, like, what advice uh-huh. would you give? Let's say there's a young man in high school, right? And he, uh-huh. you know, he's he's not really getting any of the publicity. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of things should these young athletes focus on before they get, to, if they're really serious about making the NBA? Um, should they just mm-hmm. train harder? Um, should they maybe look into going to a different school? Like if you were uh, advising somebody, like what would you tell them to do? Like if they were dead serious on getting to the NBA? That is a tough question. Uh, 
So first and foremost, I was out with him with the pack. I was showing him all the statistics and the chances. Then from there, they're like, okay, I get it. I still want to just give this my absolute all. Uh, the biggest thing I wish I would have took a little bit more seriously, I would say, like, you guys just be in that gym and you conditioning, being in that weight room, getting in shape, and just you want to eat, sleep, breathe in that gym. Practice is over. You should be in the gym. If you can't be in the gym at where your school is at, you need to go to like a, a YMCA gym or something. Like you got to live in the gym. Uh, it's just so hard, you know, knowing what I know to like be able to look a kid in the face that doesn't already have like publicity already nationwide by the time they're a high schooler and be like, yeah, you can, you can make it, if you, you know, like, I think that's kind of like the, the, the wise tale, right? Like, just like, oh, hard work pays off. Just keep working hard and, you know, you'll, it'll, it'll happen. But like, like I said, man, the numbers are the numbers, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the end of my book talks about it. I mean, it, it gets to the part, you know, parts where you look at like, you know, chances of making it from being a division three player drafted into the NBA, 0.000, you know, one in a million chances, literally. So you're literally looking at like, it's just not that many spots, right? You got, you know, 30 something NBA teams. They carry 15 players. Some teams now carry 17 players that two of them are de uh, designated for the G League most of the season. So at the most, we're looking at about 600 spots in the NBA, right? One fifth of those spots, like we talked about earlier, goes to people who are foreign born, who are born outside of the United States. So boom, there goes 20% of those 600 spots. And then also you got to think about people who are in the NBA right now. So LeBron James been in the NBA for like 21 years, right? So that one spot, that quote-unquote spot, has been not available for 21 years because LeBron James got that spot. Mm -hmm. Steph Curry been in the league for however long he's been. And that, so when you look at a year-to-year, -year, there's just not that many spots. And then if you are – let's say you do make it, right? You're lucky enough to make it. You're skilled enough to make it. Across the board, about two out of every five players that make the NBA – their career is going to last five years or less across mm. the board. So when you look at all of this, you know, and I believe about 20% is just one or two years. So it's like one out of five, you get drafted, boom, you're going to be gone. Oh, and if you're drafted, the last two decades has shown us that about 10 to 12% of players, they get drafted, never play. So oh, wow. <laughs> boom, there goes some other people that's not going to play. But you see, when, you know, this book just showed me just from so many different levels. It just really shows the exclusive, the exclusivity of making it. And I just think people are just totally disconnected, right? Like, you wouldn't just see, like, a 350-pound guy, a 350-pound, like, six-foot-one guy walking down the street and think, like, oh, that guy's supposed to be a linebacker in the NFL, or let alone approach him and be like, so why aren't you a linebacker in the NFL? Like, I think a lot of people think you're like kind of crazy if you did that. But it's this yeah. weird inclination, and I can speak for it for myself being a tall person, being six foot six. People literally just approach you and be like, I know you play basketball. What team you play? You know, granted, okay, <laughs> there, there is some truth in stereotypes. So a lot of tall people probably, did, a lot of them probably did play ball back in the day, but I just want people to realize it's the majority of tall people aren't going to make it. And I'll even give you guys this. Uh, I'll drop this knowledge on you, right? So when you look at any American male that's six foot six, six foot seven, or six foot eight, 
I believe it's something like 0.07% of them will make will play in the NBA one day. 0.07% of American males that are six foot six, six foot seven, or six foot eight will play in the NBA. Ooh. 0.07%. Do you want to know how many? Now, seven footers, right? Everybody would think like, oh, it's seven footer. You, you would just have to suck so bad not to make it. You want to know what percentage of seven footers in America make the NBA? What is it? 17%. Whoa. Less than one in five seven footers will play in the NBA. The less than five people in America who are seven feet tall will play in the NBA. Less than one in five. Yes, yeah, 17, seven, yep, 17% of seven foot Americans will play in the NBA, which means that 83% of American seven footers will never play in the NBA. And nobody would know that. I certainly would, didn't know that before I did the research, and I certainly didn't know it was that, that low for even people that were like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, or 6'8". Six, but yeah, 0.07%. It's just, when you hear these numbers, right, if, somebody, if somebody's a gambling uh, person, right, if you heard like, hey, the odds of winning on this is 0.07%, you'd probably be like, there's no chance, right? That's what you would think, like, oh, no chance. 17% doesn't sound too good either, right? You know, like, oh, you got like a one in five chance. I don't like those odds. Yeah. Especially because there's always going to be somebody who works harder than you and who's better than you, you know? Um, yep. My question is this. You said you, when you, before you wrote this book, you tried to find this book and you couldn't find uh-huh. it. So that's why you wrote it. Why do you think it yeah. is like nobody has ever touched this subject before? Hmm. I would think because... After doing all the research, they probably didn't want to have to go through all the numbers, man. I mean, I spent so much time writing this book. It's ridiculous. But uh, honestly, I, that is a good question, man. Because like I said, I thought something like this would have definitely been written by now. That's why I looked for the bo- a book, you know, when I was yeah. trying to find the numbers. But uh, you got me stumped on that one. The biggest thing I can say is like maybe, uh, you know, there's tons of books about like, oh, why – College players should be compensated, which obviously now they they can't be through NIL deals, which just came through a few years ago. Uh, But there's a ton of books about that. There's a ton of books about, like, stories of college basketball coaches out there. But, yeah, I'm really shocked that there wasn't a book like this ever written. Uh, The only thing I could think of is, like, it just takes so much time because it was, like, a level of research that just – it almost felt, I thought like I wrote a dissertation, essentially. Like, this felt like a dissertation uh, when I wrote it, as far as, like, the amount of data and how much time I put into it. Because, like I said, I plan on spending two two day, two years on this was my initial goal going in. It took four years. Yeah. When you tell people uh, about this book, uh, what are their responses? Like, when you tell them about this book and your data, is it like, do you get a lot of pushback? Do you, is it like, are they receptive? I think, I think it goes through one, one year and out the other, man, which is like, which has been the, the, the crazy part. You know, it's like, it, I feel like people just, people are just so stuck in like the perception of things. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, you know, when Galileo was telling people the world wasn't flat and that it was round, you know, people thought he was insane. They thought it was crazy, you know. Anytime you're going against the grain, 
you're naturally not going to be accepted at first. That's just how, you know, when you look at society, right? When you look at, we went from, we were in horse and buggies. And then when we had the first automobiles, it wasn't like everybody overnight was like, oh, get rid of the horse and buggy. We're going to go straight to automobiles. They didn't trust automobiles. It was like, that's a machine. What if it explodes? What if, I don't trust that thing. I'm going to just, I, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. Uh, when credit cards first came out, you think everybody just like, switched over to credit cards. They're like, how is this piece of plastic supposed to represent money? This is a scam. What did people say about Bitcoin when it first came out? That's a scam. You see, history repeats itself. So I feel like people have met it with resistance. I feel like people don't believe it. I feel like people think it's a stretch. I feel like people think it's sensationalized. It is 100% factual. Uh, I put no opinion into this book. The book is just the numbers, the way they came out. I just punched, I put the numbers in and then whatever the numbers got spit out, that's just what I represent in the book. But so far it's been like not accepted. It's been very, very like, just like I talk to people about it and it's just kind of like, oh, wow, okay, that sounds interesting. You know, but people, I still feel like people, even like our conversation right now, I still feel like it's going to just be people out there that's just like, uh, if you're good enough, you'll still make it though. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're like six four taller and you're good enough, you're, you're going to get a chance. I just feel that I know that that's going to be the conception, but it still be the common thought, you know. But I think over time, you know, maybe a, maybe a few years from now, you know, we're going to come out with additional uh, additions to this book every five years. Uh, the next book actually will be coming out. The next version will be coming out in 2026, and then it'll be in a five year increments from there. But I believe it will catch on, you know, as, as you know, like anything else, it takes time. I'm going to keep fighting the fight and getting the message out there. I just want people to be aware. And the big thing is that once again, you know, and I'll kind of touch on this a, a little bit too. Uh, with, with the pro with the book here, right. It's a whole program. So I want to work with different schools and colleges and what we're going to do is uh, after I talk with them and, and talk with the team and give them a, you know, a three hour uh, kind of back and forth speech about the, you know, based on the book, the history of basketball, you know, going through all these statistics and things of that nature. Uh, I'm going to actually work with different corporations across the country and across eventually across the world, but starting off in the U S I want to do partnerships with different major corporations to where these college basketball players who don't make it, professionally in NBA or any other league that excelled in the classroom, want to help them get into leadership positions right out the gate. So that's something that we're working on for phase two of this. Uh, you know, the book is phase one of, uh, I call it of the business, you know, that's the phase one, uh, the book and doing in-person speeches. Phase two is actually working with corporations to, you know, set up like a job funnel for these, uh, for these kids who perform really great in the classroom, uh, and you know, going into the corporate world for these uh, you know young men. So, so this is a uh, this is a we're in it for the long run. I'm curious. Um, do you know the statistics on how many of the student athletes who don't go to the NBA, how many of them actually graduate uh, from I do, college? I, I do not know that exact number. Uh, one thing that I do know though is that that I can say is that. A lot of these schools, you know, they'll they'll tout about how like they'll be like, oh, we had a 3.4 overall GPA for our men's baseball team. Anybody that's in the know knows. I forget the exact terminology for it, but there's a lot of classes that they set up in colleges where they basically just like 
pass them with an A, and there's like basically no work. Yeah. So they can fall, especially at the Division One, at the major Division Ones. It's it's a it's a whole little kind of like it's his own little society. But I, I don't want to get too into that. But there's a I don't know the exact GPAs, but a lot of these players that come out, they did not get a great education because they were focusing on basketball. So it's a weird, like, double-edged sword, right? Because it's like, if you want to be an NBA player one day, you got to put your all into it. But most people, almost everybody's not going to make it. And if you don't have a plan B, then you don't have nothing to fall back on. You know, it's like one of the only, it's one of the only uh, skill sets where it's like, you don't make it. It's like a gamble almost. Because it's like, it's like a huge gamble. If you don't make it, it's hard to fall back on something else if you didn't get your education you know like if you're if you're a great lawyer you're gonna get like work somewhere if you know how to code really good you're gonna make money off coding somewhere if you're a great basketball player but you don't but you're not great enough to play professionally anywhere you're probably not gonna make a penny off of it but you spent all of this time all of these years your whole life playing it so it's a real it's it's a really tricky area, and, and I just think there's a lot of a lot of justice that needs to be done, a lot of a lot of shifting of uh, you know, there needs to be a lot of paradigm shifts just in general around just the co- college level of athletics, you know. Uh, like I yeah. said, it's one it's one thing to dream, but it's another thing to reality once a year. You know? Yeah, the one reason the reason I asked that question is because my hope with this book is that you know there are a lot of talented athletes out there, you know who are going to Division two schools and Division three schools. And my hope yes. is that what people can read this book and realize that, hey, I'm not going to go to the NBA, but I am in college. And I can yes. use this free education that I'm getting, you know, if they're on scholarship, you know, like a lot, there are a lot of men <laughs> who are on yes. basketball scholarships. Yeah, Division One. Sorry, Division Three players don't get uh, athletic scholarships. No, there's no That's athletic right, yeah. scholarships at Division Three level. But sorry, I just had to throw. Nah, it. you're cool. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. But still, like Division yeah. One and Two, like if you're in yeah. those schools, you might not go um, to the NBA, but use that opportunity to get an education. You know, I feel yeah. like uh, a lot of these men, and I don't know if I don't know the statistics, and I'm not sure if you do either, but um, hmm. a lot of these men. You know, they, they go to these schools and they don't go to the NBA and then they, they don't get an education and it just feels like a waste. Yeah. My hope with this book is that, like, it'll inspire people to say, hey, I'm not going to be the next LeBron, but I can be the next CEO of this company. I can be the next exactly. doctor or lawyer or teacher or businessman, you know, um, yeah. you know, we can use this uh, athletic ability to open up doors that don't necessarily mean uh, NBA. And I think, you know, I asked yes. uh, what the reception of this book is and why it hasn't been written before. I think that a lot of people, especially people who come from poor backgrounds, you know, mm-hmm. they, they dream about getting to the NBA and getting that money, you know. And if you come from mm-hmm. a poor background, a lot of times your schooling isn't the greatest and True. these kids, they go to these colleges, and the NCAA makes billions. Tons. Yeah. Tons. Yeah. And they and make nothing. Exactly. They get a scholarship. But they make no actual, like, 
money in pocket payments. Yeah, exactly. It's capitalism as finance, my friend. Yeah, my 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 uh, the conspiracy theorist in me says that the reason why they came up with that rule about having to be removed for one year after mm-hmm. the age of nineteen is because they want the colleges to get that money from all these young men. I mean, is that crazy or? <laughs> no, dude, I, uh, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to say that, but I, I right. think that that has a lot to do with it. I didn't want to say it, but yeah. I feel but, you, I, I think feel you. I won't, I won't touch anymore. I um, <laughs> let's see, uh, let me ask you this. Can you describe some of like any personal stories or stories you read about other athletes or individuals who are striving are to make it to the NBA that you have found particularly impactful? Uh, so I'm myself, you know, even though I wrote this book, uh, I'm a little bit kind of out of the loop with the whole, like kind of with basketball right now, as far as like the day-to-day operations, to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I know I'm, I was. I know I have the the pedigree to have written this book, and you know, at one time I was deep into the basketball world, but uh, I really don't. You know, I don't really know. You know, any like standouts right now who are like playing at the college level. That's like, hey, we need to you know use this platform to like you know to raise awareness for this or to like you know let's take our school in more serious. It just seems like it's just another old same old day, you know, and then. With social media, you know, it's kind of just now everybody's kind of like promoting themselves on a lot, a lot of narcissism. But like, yeah, yeah, I just think it, I, dude. I just think it's just the same old stuff. Another day, I think it's the same thing. I think nothing has changed. I think it's the same. It's the same pipe dream. I don't think nothing's changed. I don't see any like players like, hey, you know, I know I'm a, a college basketball player, but I'm striving for this, this, and this. Like, I just, it just all seems like. It's kind of like the old status quo. I'm not seeing nothing yet, but hopefully I can I can help to do a little bit to you know change that situation. That's that's my goal. What do you think will happen if like a uh, an NBA player like LeBron James or Steph Curry came out and said, "Hey kids, you're not going to make it to the NBA. Try and do something else." What do you think would happen? Would there be like backlash or? I mean, they can't say that because it's a it's a conflict of interest, right? You got to keep the the dream alive, right? It's in the American spirit to keep the quote-unquote dream alive, right? So hypothetically, if they were to say that, it would it would cannibalize the game. You would essentially, like, be cannibalizing basketball. So they would never say that. If anything, they're going to say, like, oh, you know, it's just like, remember Michael Jordan, the commercials, I want to be like Mike. They're going to, if anything, they're going to use their likeness to, to make more money and to sell the dream. It just is what it is. You're never going to uh, – you're not going to have some high-profile athlete, I don't think, that's going to come out the woodworks and just randomly say, like, hey, kids, I know you want to be just like me, but you're never going to be me. They're going to – you know, they might say it in a certain – a little bit different way, but they're going to always be – I just like they're going to always be selling that for you because yeah, they got to yeah. sell shoes. They're trying to sell their – you know, these basketball players, they got shoe contracts. They're selling their dream by selling those shoes, right? It's like if you buy LeBron James shoes, you know what I'm saying? You could play like LeBron. You could be like LeBron, you mm-hmm. know? So I they would be basically – if they were to make a statement like that, it would be like totally not in their interest and it would actually hurt their bottom line yeah, personally and from an organizational standpoint. So they yeah, have I to feed the beast and give them to it. Yeah. 
Gotcha. So how can your book contribute to a broader conversation about the dreams, challenges, and realities of young men aspiring to play in the NBA? You're not going to make it. No. Okay. <laughs> There's a very strong chance you're not going to make it. But I, I do want to say this, though, and, be, and being 100% serious, always chase your dreams, right? You know, we, we wouldn't have, you know, Jeff Bezos wouldn't have, like, chased his dream. We wouldn't have Amazon, like the big, I believe it's the largest or the most, the biggest growing company on the planet or whatever. But, like, you know, Elon Musk, you know, so on and so forth. You got to dream. You have to dream. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to dream. It's healthy to dream. But along with those that dreaming, you also need to be aware of reality. I think a lot of people lose track of reality and they just get like too stuck in the dream. Uh, chase your dreams. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to make it, you know, but you got to realize it is essentially it's a very bad gamble. The numbers speak for themselves. This isn't me saying it. I, I can just put the numbers in front of anybody. The numbers speak for themselves. If somebody takes the time to read through this book, cover to cover, they're going to learn so much information. You know, I wish, going back in time, 17-year-old me, if somebody else would have wrote the same exact book, and if I would have read it cover to cover, front to back, when I was 17, it would have totally changed the path I would have went thinking about basketball. And that's just being blatantly honest. That's just being all the way honest. It would have totally changed my entire thought process. I would have gone, probably gone a different path. If I wouldn't have made a Division One right out of high school like I didn't, I probably would have never even pursued basketball anymore at that point, yeah. knowing what I know now. But I was told to dream just like everybody else. So somebody has to step up. Once again, I'm not – you know, I'm not trying to be the doom and gloom guy. I'm just the factual guy. I'm just, you know how like Kawhi Leonard, they see he's the fun guy, right? Like this is Kawhi yeah. Leonard. You know, some people get up there, but like, yeah. I'm just the fact guy. I'm the fact guy. I just bring the facts. You know what I'm saying? Hashtag facts, man. I just bring those facts all day, every day. So, you know, it's like they always say, man, don't kill the messenger, right? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger with the numbers. This isn't me, like, trying to say, like, this isn't me coming down on college basketball or coming down the NBA. I love college basketball. I love watching the NBA. Once again, chase your dreams, but the numbers are the numbers. It's the truth. And I, it, you need to at least be aware. If I could speak to any basketball player out there, seriously, is thinking about trying to make the NBA one day as a college player right now or a high school player. Read the book or, you know, and even a coach, you know, so that you can talk to your players or have me come in and talk with your players about these things. Read the book cover to cover. Be aware. Be aware of the situation. By being aware of the numbers, it should make you like, like we were saying earlier, you should be eating, sleeping and breathing, working out and then being in the gym. You shouldn't be doing nothing else. You, have, you should have no friends pretty much besides other basketball players if you're seriously trying to make it. It has to be that serious. These are, you know, to even to even have the slightest chance among chances, you got to basically like cut everything else out. You got to cut everything out. You can't be screwing around with girls or guys. If that's what people, are, you know, if you're into that. You can't be going out partying every night or going out and partying. You got to be a complete like, you know, you got to be consumed by it. You got to be like a man possessed by it. 
Yeah. As they say, you have to have a basketball Jones, as they say. But it's just, you know, with then, all that, though, the numbers speak for themselves. Yep. Yeah. I was just going to say, even if you do do all that, chances are you might not make it. You know, chances, um, it's not even might. It's not might. Chances are you're. You won't. Chances are you're basically guaranteed not to make it, basically. Yeah, guaranteed not to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where can people go to find out, uh, to buy your book and also to get more information about you? So for more information about me, uh, you can look up rod to infinity on all social media. Uh, if I'm not there under rod to infinity, that's, so that's R O D the number two infinity, all one word. If I don't show up it's because I'm not on that particular platform. So I know I'm, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Twitter right now. Uh, we're going to start uh, getting more of a uh, YouTube presence here in the future. Also, Instagram, we're going to start being on there a little bit more. Um, and you can buy the book on Amazon right now. Also, you can go on my website, airballthebook.com, uh, to buy the book and for more information about booking an in-person appointment and anything else about it is also on the website. So airballthebook.com. Is the website once again Rod to Infinity is my social media handle. Awesome. Well, I know my listeners are gonna check out that book and they're gonna go to that website and learn more because this has been a very informative discussion. I learned a lot today and sure. I know my listeners did too. Um, so I just want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciate this. And uh hey, Thanks for letting me come on Bright Brains, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take hey, no care. Problem. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.